Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. You can grab a seat uh, and check this out. Here's the latest on my broken ankle. Doc says I'll be all right, only I have to stay off my feet for a week or so. Anyway, here's the ticket for the high team carnival. It's too late to turn it in, so you have yourself a time and tell me all about it. One couple. That means a date. Not like just going around with the crowd. Just me and the girl. Well, that's all right. Only, what girl? Who? How do you choose a date? <laughs> and that's the question. That's the question that a lot of us are asking right now. In fact, I know, thanks to your feedback, that two-thirds of us, in fact, are asking that very question. How do you choose a date? And I'll tell you, you can go on YouTube right now and you can find way too many videos like that one uh, that were created in the 40s and the 50s that try to guide you, whether you're a high school student or if you're in the Navy or all, all it's nuts. Uh, but... The reality is, I mean, even with that immaterial, even with that information, we're still walking around with questions, right? We're still people who are filled with questions if we're looking at the world of dating, right? We're not in it, but we're looking at it. We're looking towards it. And we think, man, I, I am kind of wondering, how do I choose a person to date? Or, or, or where do I go to find that person? Or how do I make sure that the person I ask out on a date is not a monster of which there are 21 in our midst? Never forget. I will never forget that. <laughs> Some of us are asking those questions. I know that about a third of us are asking different questions, but still questions, right? About a third of us are in a relationship, but we're still asking questions. We're asking ourselves, man, is this the right person to be dating? Is this a relationship that's good or healthy? Or where is this going? Like, where is this person taking me? Do I need to brace myself for a tough conversation later? Because I just now realized that today we're going to talk about dating and oh no, like what, what's going to happen? I mean, we're asking questions. Why? Because dating is in essence a journey of discovery, right? Questions are a natural part of it. It's a journey that a lot of us, maybe some of us have looked at longingly for a long time and we still just kind of want to be a part of it. We're still looking for someone to join us on that journey. Some of us, we are all too familiar with this journey. And we've gone up and down the road more times than we care to admit, with more people than we can name. And maybe we're kind of tired of it. Maybe we're kind of sick of going on that journey. I mean, some of us, we look at it and we've had experiences in this journey that have left us better, have left us wiser, more prepared for the world, more prepared for the next companion to join us on that journey. Some of us, we have experiences on the journey that leave us broken and bitter, maybe betrayed. Some of us, as I said, are, are on that journey right now with someone. But we honestly probably need to have a tough conversation or we need to take a tough, honest look at that person next to us and really ask ourselves, I mean, is this the person that I should be walking alongside of? Is this the trajectory that I want to be on? Is this the right relationship to take me to that eventual destination I mean, we walk into dating and we're excited or we're terrified or we're hopeful or we're pessimistic or we're curious or we think we have all the answers. 
That's what I love about dating is a lot of times you talk about dating and say, hey, do you have any opinions on dating? No one ever says no. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, funny you should mention it. Like, they just go for it. <laughs> Somehow we have all the answers and yet we are filled with questions because journey again is a time, it, or dating again is a journey of discovery. It's a, it's a journey upon, in which that we walk alongside of someone and, and over time we examine them and we, we question them and we talk with them, we get to know them. And over time we actually determine, is this the person that I want to commit to for the rest of my life? Is this the person I want to commit to forever? It's not just how to choose a date. It's how do we choose the one? That's what dating is. You see, God has designed all of us for community, right? We all need people. And God has designed most of us for companionship, meaning many of us need a person, someone to pair off with from the crowd. And when we look in scripture, we see that God has graciously given us principles and guidance as we navigate from singleness to dating to marriage. God has given us principles for our pursuit of the one, and if you'd like to catch up on any of that, if you missed it, we talked about singleness last week, we talked about the desire the week before. If you want to look back or, or listen back on those things or pass that along, just know, man, we have a podcast that we, we love and that we're, we're putting attention into, that we put kind of extra content into. And just that's a resource for you just to be aware of that you can find on iTunes or through our website. But we've been spending the last few weeks, and we're going to take one more week after this one, to look at this idea of relationship, this idea of romance, and how does God how do God's people act within it? Right? Because whether or not we're excited or terrified or curious or think we have the answers, no matter where we're at, we need to ask ourselves a harder question, a different question. We're not just asking questions of who it is and what we should do. It's a question of what actually should I be asking? Right? What are the actual right questions to ask? How should God's people be choosing the one? How do we move into that context and live out Christian lives well. Now, some people would look at, the, at Scripture, they look at the Bible and they say, well, there's, there's no Bible verses on dating. That's what I heard when I was growing up uh, in youth ministries. They were like, well, you know, the reality is that the Bible doesn't actually talk about dating, uh, so that's why you should kiss it goodbye and absorb, get courted. Uh, that was a thing. Um, it was a dark time. You, probably, you missed it. Praise be to the Lord that it was gone by the time you were in that realm. Uh, but the reality is that we look at Scripture and there are absolutely principles for dating. It absolutely discusses it. Now, the culture is a little bit different, right? The context is a little bit different. At that time, there are a lot of arranged marriages. At that time, the dating didn't look the same. But we still find many biblical examples of God's people searching for their spouses. And that's what dating is. And so this morning, when we look in Genesis 24, what we're going to see is the process by which Abraham and his servant, but the process by which a few guys help Isaac find a wife. And we're gonna see that there's principles in that that just don't change. Though the context may shift, the principles remain. And the principles that we find in Genesis 24 guide us in how do we search and what do we search for as we're looking for the one. And what we see in Genesis 24, first and foremost, uh, it's Abraham, uh, the, the granddaddy patriarch of all the Jewish nation, of all the Israelites. He is the kind of the beginning of their story, right? God goes to Abraham and he says, hey, I want to use you 
to bless the world. I'm gonna build you into a nation. I'm gonna give you a land to live in. I'm gonna give you descendants, a people to be a part of, and I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna use you to bless the entire world. In other words, what we see in, in this covenant, in this promise, in this contract between God and Abraham, God is saying, I'm gonna use you to bring about redemption for humanity. It's the beginning, it's one of the early steps towards the eventual appearance, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So God says, man, I'm gonna give you this place to be. I'm gonna give you these people, to, this people to, to, to be a part of, to, to grow. I'm gonna give you a purpose in the midst of this world. And Abraham knows that, hey, that means that I'm gonna have to keep having kids. And yet he's reaching the end of his life and he's got one kind of true heir, a guy named Isaac a son named Isaac. And so he's looking at Isaac and he's like, well, Isaac's gonna have to be the one to carry on my lineage. He's gonna have to be the one to kind of continue having kids. And yet he looks at Isaac and he's like, well, this guy's just hanging around the house. Like, well, he's not, he's not doing it. He doesn't have a wife. He can't have kids until he has a wife. And there's, there's no prospects. Like there's no one around in our area that he could be a part of because they were on kind of the edge of civilization. And there were some people around them, but those people were, were pagans, right? They followed other gods. And so Abraham's looking at the prospects for a son. He says, man, we gotta, we gotta do something about this. So he grabs a servant. He says, hey, I'm gonna send you back to my people to find this wife. And what we see in that is not, the, the principle is not ask your parents to ask their servants to find your spouse, right? That's, that would maybe hit, if that hit any of us, like if any of us have servant, parents with servants, that's hilarious. We need to talk about that. But the reality is that we don't really live in that world, right? We also don't really live in a world of arranged marriages. They happen. Uh, I've, I have friends that have had arranged marriages. But the reality is that for the vast majority of us, that's not the case. Some of us may have had parents that are like, look at Sally. And you're like, no, I don't like her. And so we, maybe we push back on that idea. And that's fine. That's fine. The principle is not have an arranged marriage or have your servant do The principle is get people into the process. The principle is trust your people in the search. Get people involved. Man, now not all people, but some people, the right people. Some of us, we fall on either sides of kind of the spectrum. Some of us, we say, man, if I'm gonna be in this dating world, it's just me. Like, I'm just gonna Lone Ranger it. I'm gonna find that person and we're gonna kind of have a relationship. It's gonna be great. It's just gonna be the two of us. We'll kind of get in our little hammock together that we'll hang on campus because we're kind of crunchy granola like that. And we're just gonna kind of do our thing. And if your friends are like, hey, are you like dating a person? You're like, yeah. And you just run away and you, just, you flee. And you just don't talk to him. I had friends like that in college. I have one buddy, like we found out months later that he had dated like three people and already broken up. We're like, what are you doing? So that happens. Some of us were on the other end of the spectrum. We say, oh my gosh, I'm starting a relationship. Well, oh, I should probably ask um, Facebook what to do. Like I just need to kind of put it out there and get every possible idea. And, and as I'm turning in my homework, I'm just gonna kind of pull my prophet aside and be like, look, I'm chasing after this girl and I don't know, like she... We like different coffee shops. Like we just, we have these moments where we find ourselves on either ends of a spectrum where I think there's a healthy middle ground, right? Where we're not necessarily sequestering ourselves off and we risk being blinded to truth and reality and we get caught up in these horribly toxic relationships or we're over here and we have so much input, it just destroys every possible relationship we could ever find ourselves in because it's gonna smother it. A relationship is like a little newborn baby 
I know this to be true. I've experienced it. I've, I've experienced having newborn babies. And I'll tell you, there are certain people that just cannot take care of that baby. Other little children, not equipped to take care of a baby. I've seen it. They're like, let's put that baby in the dryer. You're like, no. Like, I know. We're about to have our second child. We're about to have a son. I know that our daughter, Charlotte, she's wonderful. She will try to destroy my son. It's just in her nature. I don't trust her to take care of that kid. I also don't trust just random people. I've been that random person where someone's like, look at my baby, hold my baby. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, I don't, looks like an old man, and I don't like that. Like, ugh. My kids look different, of course. But, you know, like, I, I've been in that moment where I don't really care what's best for that kid. You know, like, I don't have their best interest at heart. It's not hardwired into me. And the reality is that we will find ourselves asking people that are in those camps. We'll ask people that are not good at relationships. They do not have the wisdom needed to pour into us. So we don't need to seek their input, okay? And that might be harsh. And maybe you like let them talk, but you just don't take every input. Some people don't have the wisdom. Some people don't have your best at heart. Some people they're not connected to. They're not actually thinking what's best for you. They're just kind of bored and they're like, hey, here's an idea try that out. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. You know, that's, that's going to happen. So be careful who those people are. The right people are going to help you think and see clearly. If there's anyone that's just muddying the water for you, that, that is a bad sign, okay? So you need to be trusting the right people. You also need to be trusting your person. We're going to see in this story, there are a lot of very straightforward conversations where people are very clear with their intentions and their desires. Man, I would just say, Go and do likewise. Trust the person that you're pursuing. Trust the person that, that, that you're interested in enough to be honest with them and open with them. If you feel like you're having to like play games or like kind of say some stuff, but like not say other stuff and like wait oh, another day before you send that text. Like, man, if you're playing those games, it's, it's not best. It's really not best. You wanna be open and honest. You wanna be straightforward with your conversations, with the interactions. Because in doing so, you're building trust with that person. And if they reject you because you sent that text a little too quick, good riddance. They can't handle your cat emojis anyway, you know? <laughs> Move on. We need to make sure that we are searching in these proper ways where we're trusting people, we're trusting our person, we're trusting ultimately our God. That's what we see in the life of Abraham and his servant as they're looking for a wife for Isaac. The servant's asking Abraham, he says, well, what if the woman's not willing to come back with me? Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham says, no. He says, be careful never to take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, the land of my relatives, he promised me with a solemn oath, you to your descendants, I will give this land. Abraham says, God will send his angel before you, my servant, that you may find a wife for my son from there. He says, but if she's not willing to come, if that woman is not willing to come, if you reach a barrier, if you encounter an obstacle, if things don't seem to be going quite right, you're free from this oath of mine. Just don't take my son back there. Abraham is looking at a servant saying, look, I trust the Lord. If you're encountering roadblocks, if you're encountering issues, and they're insurmountable, he says, I don't want you to try to make it work. I don't want you to try to lock this person down even though she doesn't want to come or kind of entice her and convince her to come and be a part of it. He says, if you're meeting resistance, if you're meeting strong issues, he says, walk away. He says, because I'm not worried that God won't provide. I know that my God is good. He has given me an oath that he's going to provide for me a land, a people, and a purpose. He says, I know that to be true. 
So if things don't seem to be going that way, just, just cut and run. It says, you, you are free from my oath. Man, there's a principle in that of trusting our God to be good. Now, God hasn't given us a promise or an oath that you will have descendants in the land of Dallas. Like, that's maybe not an, uh, uh, an oath that you've received. Maybe, I don't know. But, but probably not. Marriage is not guaranteed for any of us. But what is guaranteed is that we have a father who loves us, a father who wants to provide for us, a father who has promised us that he will give us good gifts. Then it rips out her eye. It's really tragic. You don't want to watch the rest of it. It's very sad. It takes a turn. <laughs> Scripture tells us that we have parents, we, have, we are able to experience parenthood, uh, almost a shadow of parenthood while we're on this earth. You have fathers and mothers, and, and some of you have better relationships or worse relationships. Some of you know both of them. Some of you only know one of them. But the reality is that we are all here because we had parents at some point. And scripture tells us, man, that is a, it's just a, a shadow. It's just an inkling of, of what's to come, of what you can experience with God, your father. You think that, you know, your parents, your mom can give you a really great kitty. And man, that's a great gift, apparently. <laughs> you could receive that thing or that gift or that, you know, whatever it might be, that opportunity that the situation, man, that's, that's wonderful. But scripture tells us if that's possible from a broken human sinful being, Think of how good your father in heaven must be. Think of the gifts he must have in store for you. Now, this isn't to say that his timing is going to match what you want or that the relationship is going to look exactly like what you want. It's not going to be perfect. This doesn't mean that relationship, the right relationship is one that is seamless without conflict. or, or it, No. But what this means is that if we are in a moment, if we're finding ourselves in a context, in a relationship, or looking at a relationship where there's a person that they just don't really want to be with us, or, or there's some issues, they don't quite check off some boxes that we're about to look at in Genesis 24, and if we are tempted, I know, we are tempted to think, well, maybe I should just like make it work. Like maybe I should just sort of uh, make some compromises, and maybe it's not that bad, and maybe we can just sort of talk about it, or, or maybe it'll get better. But I'm telling you, when you do those things, when you make those decisions out of fear, man, you're, you're headed in a bad direction, a bad direction. Are there issues that should necessitate a breakup? Absolutely. But are there, are there issues that you can work through to stay together? Absolutely. But, but if you are trying to hold on, cling to a person, whether you're dating or wanting to date or whatever it is, if you're, if you're just clinging to them out of a fear that there's not going to be something better, that God doesn't have something better for you or someone better for you, man, that is, that is wrong-headed. 
We want to be able to look at our relationships and say, man, yeah, I saw the Lord move in that. And I had fear and uncertainty, but I saw God, man. I saw him at work. Our relationship should be one that we look at that person, we think, we think I am thankful to God for providing this person. I'm thankful that God is using this person in a relationship with me, that he's using us together to ultimately glorify him. If you can't say that about the person next to you, you're headed, you got a bad trajectory. We want to be able to look at that person and say, man, God has done something wonderful. Ah, oh, praise the Lord for this person. No one wants to look down the, or get down the road, look back and say, man, you, you were just a very reasonable, very reasonable match for my modest expectations. Praise the Lord. Like that's not, you don't want that. You want someone to be able to look at you and say, I thank God that he brought us together. I thank God for what he's done in both of our lives. And I feel like both of us are just out of our league right now because God is just that good. That's what you look for. That's how you look. I'm sorry. That's how you look in a way that's trusting that God is going to move, that God is going to provide. So what exactly are we looking for? In the midst of the search, what are we searching for? Now, this is really important because our attention will always change our affection, right? Affections... They're not in just entirely an involuntary reflex. Right? There, are, there are elements to it that maybe are a little bit beyond our control or maybe uh, beyond our control for a season or for a time. But a lot of affection can be shifted by attention. What I mean by that is this. When my wife and I started house hunting a few years ago, uh, we, we knew what was up, right? We had watched HGTV. <laughs> we had watched House Hunters. We knew what we were looking for. We wanted a certain type of countertop, a certain color scheme. We wanted to make sure there were like Edison bulbs hanging, you know, around the place. Like one in the toilet. What? Oh, trendy. Like we wanted stuff like that. We wanted there to be some sort of celebrity renovating couple or like twin brothers that were involved in making the house a wonderful place to live. We knew what was up, all right? But once we started looking, as we were starting to kind of make a list, and be like, ooh, I like this one, this one, this one. We started talking to wiser people, and they were telling us, that the people that were in, in real estate and things like that, they were like, hey, actually, you know, uh, light bulbs, like, you can change light bulbs for like a dollar. Like, that's not a thing. It's like, what you want to look for is the foundation, right? Like, is that level, is the plumbing still good? Like, is the roof, like, is it there? Like, do you, is there one? <laughs> like, you want to look for these sort of Con, you know, these kind of concrete, lower level foundational type things. And all of a sudden, when we looked at our list, we started marking stuff off. Suddenly our affections changed because we were looking for different pieces. We suddenly looked back and we're like, man, we're, we're knocking things off of our list because we were initially attracted to them. And all of a sudden we were attracted to new houses that maybe they didn't look quite like what we wanted to look like, but we were like, dang, that foundation though? Woo, it's good. <laughs> it's solid, you know? No cracks on exterior bricks on this house. Like this is... This is something. Where we were placing our attention affected where we found our affections. If you're finding yourself, I know this is some of us, if you are finding yourself continually dating the wrong people, I'll tell you, it is likely that you are continuing to look for the wrong pieces. That your attention needs to shift if you ever want your affections to change. You don't have to just write yourself off and be like, no, I'm just... I'm just drawn to the dark and brooding. Like, I, I don't know, like, they, they're wrong for me. They're bad, but, uh, can't help it. It's not true. 
It's not true. You can change those affections by paying attention to where you're putting your attention. So when we look in Genesis 24, it's very important to notice where are they placing attention. The first and foremost, the, the, the initial thing we see, the first measure, the very first filter, the very first box that needs to be checked is that it's a wife for my son from the daughters. No, it's not a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites amongst whom I am living. Instead, you servant, you need to go instead to my country and to my relatives and find a wife for my son, Isaac. Now, Abraham isn't focused on race. This isn't like a color of skin or, or background. Bound. It's nothing to do with that. There's interracial marriage all throughout scripture, all throughout the Old Testament. The issue here is Abraham is saying, I want to make sure that she shares the same devotion as my son. You are looking for a person that has devotion to the one true living God. And so Abraham knew, man, we're living in this pagan world. We're living on kind of the edge of civilization. We're living next to all these people that are worshiping these horrific gods and these horrific practices. I don't want to draw a woman. It's possible to find God-fearers in those nations, right? It happens. There's people in the line of Jesus that were those people, that were those Gentiles that were in those nations. But, but Abraham says, I, I know it is likely we are, have a better chance of finding someone devoted to the one true living God, to Yahweh, if we go to my people, go to my relatives, go to those people that I've interacted with, those people that know the God that I know. You need to look for a person that shares your devotion. Do not compromise on faith. Oh, please hear me. Do not compromise on faith. The solitude of singleness is nothing compared to the isolation of being locked into a marriage with a person who cannot identify with the desires of your soul. It is a horrific place to be, and I've seen it. I've seen it. I'm watching it happen right now, and I don't want that for you. I really don't. Don't compromise on faith. Look for someone who's devoted to the God that you're devoted to, someone who's using their singleness well, like we talked about last week, someone who's focusing on the people in their midst, on the purpose that God's put in their lives. Look for that person, first and foremost. But it's more than that. He says, it's not just gonna be someone who's following after the right God. It's someone who's basically living the right life. It's someone who's actually displaying discipline in their life. Because the servant, he goes with all these camels and departs with all the kinds of gifts from his master at his disposal. And he journeys to this region. He goes to Abraham's people, right? And he made the camels kneel down by the well outside the city. And it was evening and the time when the women would go out to draw water. And so he prays, O Lord God of my master Abraham, guide me today. Be faithful to my master Abraham. Here I am. I'm standing by the spring and the daughters of the people who live in the town, they're coming out to draw water. And I will say to a young woman, please, lower your jar so I may drink and may one of your may, may the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac reply drink and I'll give your camels water too and in this way I will know that you've been faithful to my master essentially the, the servant has reached this place traveled 500 miles to get to this place and he says look God I want you just to be clear let's just, let's just cut to the chase God show me who this person is that you've selected. I trust you that you've been at work that you've been preparing someone for my master Isaac show me who that is by letting the situation play out in a certain way. 
He knows that he's in this point where all these young women, these young single ladies are going to be out getting water from the well. That's just the way it worked back then. And so he says, I, I want to make sure that one of them is coming. I want, to, I want to ask her a thing. And if she responds in a certain way, then I'll know that you're kind of pushing me. You're leading me in that direction. Right? And he doesn't just choose these arbitrary things. Right? This isn't a, the principle is not go out and say, God, if someone trips down the stairs in the MSC, let that be the one. Like, it's not just this arbitrary, like, let her wear a rose on her left eye. Like, that's not it. He is intentionally pointing out character attributes, characteristics. He's pointing out essentially a person who is gracious and a person who's working hard, someone who is loving and also faithful. Right? He's saying, I want this to be a person when she shows up that, that she offers to give me water. I, I, I want her to be someone who's gracious to the people around her, to even just a stranger at the well. Let her be someone who is so hospitable, so loving, that she just serves the people around her. That's what you should be looking for. A girl or a guy who is loving and gracious, who serves the people around them. How do they treat your friends? How do they treat their lab partners? How do they speak about the people in their groups or, or in their organizations? How do they interact with their family members or their roommates? It's not just how do they treat you. It's how do they treat the other people that they're not trying to impress because the reality is that you're going to reach a point in your relationship if you're going all through marriage and all that. There's going to be a moment, there's going to be times where you're not really trying to impress each other. And so when you see them in those moments, in those contexts now, that is a sign of your future. How are they treating those people? Are they gracious? Are they loving? Are they serving? But more than that, the servant says, I want her to be someone who even offers water to my camels. In other words, I want her to be someone who is faithful and reliable, who goes above and beyond. She's not just giving water to me, this one dude who drinks like, you know, a few cups. I'm like, I'm good. Like, I want her to offer to give water to my camels, my, my 10 camels who are going to just drink tons of water. They drink so much water. It's like, I want her to offer water to them because that means that she's going to be working hard. That means that she's going to be drawing up bucket after bucket after bucket of this water to, to give to my camels. I want her to be someone who's going above and beyond, who's faithful and reliable. How is this person that you are with or this person you're looking at, how is this person who maybe right now is just theoretical in your mind, how are they handling school or work or the organizations they're in? Do they work hard? Are they faithful? Do they just procrastinate? Are they just kind of floating? Now, these aren't things that are impossible to overcome, but I'll tell you, it's just another struggle. It's another difficulty to add to your list. Ideally, what's best is you find someone who's working hard, who's going above and beyond, who's faithful, who's reliable, who shows up on time, who, who does the things that you ask them to do. And you want to see these people. And that's why community is so important because other people can help you see that. Other people want to see them in other contexts. You want to watch these people, watch their life. No, man, are they devoted to the God that I love? Are they disciplined in how they live their lives? And finally, are, are they moving the right direction? In other words, what we're going to see is that there's going to be a call on Rebecca's life, on the, the girl that he finds. We're not going to read it all because there's a ton. But he finds the girl and he asks her these things and she responds the right way. And it turns out she's related uh, kind of via a few different people to Abraham. 
And so she meets the requirements. She's devoted to Yahweh. She is, she is disciplined in her life. She's loving. She's gracious. She's faithful. She meets all these checkboxes, but there's still one to go. We have to find out, is she responsive to the call to relationship? Not only is she willing to respond to my call, is, is she responsive to come and, and be with Isaac, but is she responsive to the Lord's call in her life? And what's beautiful is after a bunch of stuff, it's weird. Her brother's like super strange. It's weird. But they, they get to the end of it, okay? And eventually we see her family, they call her for. They say, hey, do you want to go with this man who just told us that he's here on a mission from God to find a wife for his servant or for his master? This guy named Isaac that lives out there, like out 500 miles away. Do you really want to go with him? And she replied, I want to go. In fact, before this, the servant asks her, like, are, are you willing to love, are you willing to love my master with this hesed, this, this loving kindness, this, this faithful love? Are you willing to, to love him in this way? And she's essentially saying, yes. Why? Because she's responding to the call to relationship, but she's also responding to the call that God has given her. She believes and is faithful that she's believing that, man, God has called me forward to go to this unknown place. You want someone who answers both of those calls. When Susan and I uh, got to know each other, we, we uh, met like four times, but eventually on the fourth time, we got stuck on a boat together, okay? And so uh, we had to talk to each other at that point. And uh, as we got to know each other, we were like, okay, you're pretty cool. I guess, you know, maybe we'll see each other around. I don't know. And turns out that night uh, was the first Aggie football game of the season. We were freshmen. And so we went and we sat with our fish camps because that's what you do first week, first game. And turned out we were in the same fish camp. And so uh, we uh, wound up standing actually next to each other out of all the places to be. We both got stuck in the aisle. We we're both on the stairway. And as we're standing on the stairs watching the game, we started to kind of talk with each other like, oh, hey, boat girl, huh? what's going on? You know, we kind of like got to know each other and we're talking, talking. It's going well. And there was kind of initial attraction. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. But, but you know, in, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm not looking for anything serious, right? It's the first week of school. Baby bird's got to fly. Like, I got to go. I got to see what's out there. And so there came a moment where I was like, okay, maybe this is over because I had to move, right? She, she had a friend who, who needed to switch spots with me. And so I stepped away a couple, I went up a couple steps. And I thought to myself in this, in just kind of like that, that second, I had the thought, okay, you know, that, that was fun. It's, you know, she's probably pretty interesting, but if she just stays down there, great. You know, that's, we'll just, we'll move on because she'll want to stand with her friend and talk. But I did also have the thought, man, but if she steps up towards me, I don't know. Like maybe, maybe there's something. And then all of a sudden, she took the steps. And she came up two steps to still stand next to me to continue our conversation. And I said, game on. <laughs> Here we go. Buckle up. <laughs> and we started hanging out. I got her number. And we just started, we went to things together. And we, we didn't start dating necessarily immediately. But, but we began getting to know each other and being in groups together and doing these different things together and being a part of uh, different organizations and stuff like that. And, and I'll tell you, it, it was a moment that I look back. I'm like, wow, what what a telling moment where I got to see her physically move towards me, physically answer my call, physically reciprocate the affection that I was kind of putting out there. And it's not always that clear. It's not always, you know, actually on the steps at Kyle Field where all true love begins. <laughs> but we need to be looking for someone who's responsive, right? Who's willing to move in our direction. But not only that, someone who's willing to move in God's direction. 
Another turning point was when I recognized that Susan was bought into ministry. I knew, starting at the beginning of college, that God was calling me into vocational ministry. And so I began looking for opportunities. I began taking opportunities to serve in whatever way I could. One of those ways was in youth ministry here. I was a volunteer youth leader. And so as I was doing that, Susan was hearing about it. She had other friends that were a part of it. And so she was deciding, she was determining whether or not to step into it. And eventually she made that decision. Eventually she said, you know what? Uh, Yeah, I'm gonna go and be a part of that ministry alongside of you. Not because you're there, but because I feel like God wants me to be in that. And so she came and she was, it was great. We got to serve together. I'll tell you, serving in ministry together is beautiful, especially when you get to watch your other person dress up like Yoshi um, or Luigi, respectively. Uh, You get to see that person in a new light. You get to watch the Lord use them. And man, there's, there should be nothing more attractive than watching the Lord use a person for his good and his glory. And it was beautiful. As she began to lead girls, she led them for four years and she got to know them. She was serving them. I got to hear from her just like the ways that, that they were connecting. And, and it was, there was life change occurring that she got to be a part of where they were building relationships. I mean, a bunch of the girls, even they wound up at our wedding. I was with junior high kids at the time, so I invited none of them. Uh, <laughs> they were seniors, so they were allowed to come. But man, there, there is something incredible that happens when you get to watch a person not just respond to your beckoning, but to the Lord's. And that's the person you want. That's the person you want to be. And that's the person you want to find. That's what you look for, is a person that's devoted to the Lord, that's disciplined in their life, and is moving the same direction as you. Not just coming closer together, but also closer to the Lord. That's what you want, man. That's what you look for. And I know that, you know, at this point, some of us are just thinking, this is really intense. This is a lot. All I really want is to basically answer this question. Whose company would you enjoy? Well, one thing you can consider is looks. Woody thought of Janice and how good-looking she was. He'd really have to rate to date somebody like her. Yes, he'd enjoy that. Except, well, it's too bad Janice always acts so superior and bored. She'd make a fellow feel awkward and inferior. Well, perhaps someone who doesn't feel superior. There's Betty. And yet, it just doesn't seem as if she'd be much fun. What about Anne? She knows how to have a good time and how to make the fellow with her relax, have fun too. Yes, that's what a boy likes. Yeah. (laughs) Having fun and getting cotton candy-induced diabetes. That's what they want. In life, that's what a boy really enjoys. <laughs> Just eating cotton candy with a gal. That's maybe where some of us are coming from. That's maybe where some of us are at. We say, man, I, I'm just... I don't want to just have fun. I just want to kind of, you know, play the field. I want to kind of get to know people. I want to get, have some experiences. And listen, I'm not saying that you need to divorce fun and enjoyment from the dating process. But we need to hold it alongside of the idea, the concept, the principle that we find in Genesis 24 that this search is serious. But it does have real consequences. That doesn't have to be somber, but it is serious. Right? We see this at the beginning of the passage. When Abraham was old, he was advanced in years, the Lord had blessed him and everything, right? So he's reaching the end of his life, as I said. And he talks to his servant, he says, hey, listen, I need you to do something for me. He says, put your hand under my thigh so that I may make you solemnly promised by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. Like, well, that's strange. Uh, um, 
Not sure what's going on. Well, listen, it gets a lot worse. Uh, <laughs> essentially, what's happening, scholars are divided, all right? Scholars are divided, so land where you will. Uh, but essentially, there's two ideas for what's exactly occurring. There's only a few other instances of this terminology found in Scripture and outside of Scripture. There's some Egyptian terminology kind of similar. But essentially, one camp says, and I'll quote, that he's putting his hand on the generative organ upon which the sign of circumcision was placed. In other words, you know. So <laughs> while other scholars, okay, they would say, no, 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 okay, listen. The thigh, it just indicates the procreative power and heritage of the patriarch's position as the source of the family. In other words, other people say, hey, look, no, it's just, it's kind of near, it's on the thigh-ish, uh, but it, it, the meaning is the same. Right? They're saying it's just, it's about him being the, you know, the patriarch and how he's gonna provide more seats. okay. Regardless, right? Regardless of the exact hand position. Right? I tell you this because we need to take away that this is serious. That's what's happening. When Abraham says, put your hand under my thigh, Exen, wherever that hand lands, the servant knows this is serious. Like this is this is a thing to be taken not to be taken lightly. And that's how we approach our search. That's how we should approach our search. We should think, you know, I need to be serious about these things. And it's not that we have to, you know, hold your roommate's thigh while they tell you about their crush. It's not the principle. The principle is my thoughts and my words and my actions, they have real consequences. And yet it's so easy for us to dismiss this idea when it comes to our sexuality. As I was thinking about it, praying about it, I realized, I mean, a lot of times we'll, we will be serious. We'll be like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I don't want to make compromises and like do all this stuff. And duh. Until it comes to sexuality. Until it comes to our view and use of sexuality, suddenly we think, ah, no, it's not like that big of a deal. Suddenly we think, oh, I can make compromise. Suddenly we think, no, I don't need to listen to the Apostle Paul when he's speaking to believers in Thessalonica and he says that it's God's will that you become holy. In other words, that you become set apart, that you keep away from sexual immorality. Right, the word being used right there, the immorality, sexual immorality, it's porneia, where we get pornography, but, but it's not just like lust, it's not just these images of, of nudity or whatever, sexual acts. Porneia, what it means, what we see it used throughout Scripture and outside of Scripture, it's just any sexual activity outside of a marital covenant. That's what porneia covers. So you'll find examples of it being used uh, for adultery, for, for incest, for bestiality, for homosexuality. For, it's used for all these different types of things. Because it's essentially just saying anything outside of a marital covenant between a man and a woman as designed by God. Paul says you need to keep away from that. Why? Because each of you know how to possess his own body in holiness and honor. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. He says you have a Holy Spirit that's guiding you, that's leading you to something better. He says, and if you do this in this manner, no one should violate the rights of his brother or take advantage of him because the Lord is the avenger in all these cases. As we also told you earlier and warned you solemnly, he says, people are gonna get hurt if you use sexuality in these other ways. People are gonna get hurt if you take these things lightly. There's gonna be pain, there's gonna be suffering, there's gonna be destruction because of your decisions, because of what you do. And yet we tell ourselves, I man, we're like, no, 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 no. Like I can just feed this appetite and it's not gonna have physical or emotional or mental or relational ramifications. We tell ourselves, no, I need to, to test compatibility with this person. I know because of your honesty that I'm so thankful for that there's a substantial number of us 
that say, no, I, I, I believe that I can use sexuality and it's going to be beneficial, even if I'm not in that marital covenant, as long as I'm just maybe seriously dating, uh, maybe as long as we're engaged, uh, maybe as long as just I'm in love with this person. I know we're telling ourselves that. <laughs> I know we're believing those things, and I'm here to tell you, man, that is a lie. The Word of God says that those things are not true. And I could go on about accounts. I could give you perspectives of, of people that have approached the altar as virgins. I, I could give you perspectives of people that approached the altar uh, having had sex with other people or with each other already. The perspectives of researchers and psychologists who have studied the physiological and the psychological impacts of, of sexual activity in all kinds of contexts. We could go into those things, but I, I can't today. Maybe we'll come back to it. I really want us to come back to it at some point this semester. So today what we're going to do is we're just going to jump straight to the point. We're going to just cut right to the chase. Ultimately, we don't need to go into those arguments. We, need to, we don't need to unpack that science, the chemical reactions that are happening when we continue to form and then break bonds with people with sex. Because we just look, we keep reading in 1 Thessalonians, and we see that God did not call us to impurity, but to holiness, to being set apart. Consequently, the one who rejects us is not rejecting human authority, but he's rejecting God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Ultimately, we don't need to go into all those other pieces. We can, but we don't need to, because ultimately what we see is that God has told us it is not right, it's not best. Ultimately, we can look in Scripture and we see that the question that I'm answering is not where does sex belong. The question that I'm answering is who knows best? Who can make that call? And ever since Eve in the Garden of Eden, we've been tempted to believe that God is withholding something good, that God is withholding something great, that God has something that he's just holding right outside of our reach, and he doesn't know best. And if we would just choose to grab it and use it as we see fit, man, that's the best life. And yet what we find in Scripture time and time again is that is a lie. It's a lie every time. Whether it has to do with your sexuality, whether it has to do with the way that you interact with just people in general, or the way you work in your job, the way that you engage with your family, man, it doesn't matter. Any of these areas, if we think in any moment, I know best and God is withholding good for me, we are lying to ourselves. That's what scripture tells us. Now, thankfully, scripture also tells us that Jesus did not ask for perfection. He came to a world that was broken and hurting, that had failed, that had chosen other things, that thought that knew best. Jesus Christ did not ask for perfection. He asked for faith. He asked for humility. And he did not provide condemnation. He provided forgiveness. And he tells us to do the same. So maybe we have to have a tough conversation with someone at some point, someone that we're moving towards marriage. We have to unpack some history that we've had. But we do so in a loving way. And we hear it in a loving way. And we recognize that, you know what? God is using you regardless of what issues you might have. Jesus Christ died for those sins. Jesus Christ died for those mistakes. And Jesus Christ says that he loves you and that he wants to be with you for all of eternity. So man, you know what? I'm, willing, I'm ready to forgive. I'm ready to move forward because I want to be with you as long as we got here on this earth. Man, that's the God that we love. That's the God that we serve. One who knows best, one who's offered us good gifts. That's the story that we can be a part of. So let's thank the Lord for what he's done and what he's revealed. And let's ask him to use us in dating, out of dating, wherever we might be. 
God, we thank you that you have given us an opportunity to hear from you, Lord, that you've revealed yourself not only through scripture, but through just the life of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to us, that, Lord, that this wouldn't just be a thing that we reserve for Sundays, but that, God, we would continually come back to you, that we would continually be listening to you. That, God, we would approach you as a people who don't think that we're perfect, that don't think that we've, we've done everything right, but we would approach you as a people who know we are broken, but yet know that Jesus Christ died for us while we were still sinners. So take a moment right now. Pray to the Lord. Say, God, convict me. Lord, Lord draw to my mind, where is it that I'm, I'm chasing my own path? Lord, where is it that I'm kind of just leading my own life, doing my, the things that I think are best? Lord, show me where that is, where I've strayed. And God, call me back to yourself. God, don't let me just sit there in that conviction and that frustration and that failure. God, call me out of it. Pull me out of it. Let your spirit move in me. Lord, correct my life. Lord, just guide my steps. Empower me through the Holy Spirit to live differently, to live in such a way that's set apart that others would look at me and they wouldn't just see a person doing their stuff. They would see a person living according to your commands. A person that glorifies God with their life. Lord, let me be that person and let me find that person to choose to be the one. Pray those things right now. Hello, and welcome to the Grace College Podcast. Uh, my name is Jacob Smith. And I'm Kevin Barra, and we are so excited that you've joined us here on the podcast to talk a little bit more about the sermons and hear a little bit more about what's going on in college ministry here at in College Station, Texas. All right, so we made it. We're over the halfway point. We are. We are three-fourths of the way through our dating series, and it has been a blast the so, entire time. So much fun. Uh, yesterday was really fun. We got to talk about dating uh, so kind of getting down to the nitty gritty. Um, and it was, uh, man, it was, it was really cool. I I thought it was really cool. Just looking at Genesis 24, getting this basically unpack these, this kind of scriptural guidance on dating. Cause I knew that at least for me, like growing up, I remember hearing time and again that like the Bible doesn't have verses on dating and Mm. like, you know, like there's Mm -hmm. dating's not in the Bible. So, so what are we doing? Look, yeah. Or or you should just kiss a goodbye (laughs) and court people. And, you know, and yeah, it was just, it's it's exciting now that I like am a little bit more learned that I I can you know find there no no actually there is there are lots of principles in scripture where that are applicable to dating there's examples of God's people looking for spouses that's right uh you know so just ways to basically have that carry over even though right there's no like thou shalt date only christians like that's not in there but you know thou shalt take your future you know, option two chilies. Right. And, <laughs> and shall not order tacos. <laughs> no. Thou shalt get a burger and queso <laughs> for the first. Right. So there's just nothing quite like that, but it was still, it was, it was cool. I, I really enjoyed, uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, it was fun. Um, I, I know too, for us at Anderson, um, I mean, you know, you'll, you can speak in the Southwood in a minute, but we took a little bit of time too, to talk about, um, sex and how it plays in because I'm not going to be here uh, for the marriage talk that's going to have a lot more sex stuff. Um, but Jacob, what do, you, what do you know about sex? Why well, are you going to be, why are you gonna be well, out? Well, you see, I'm out because I'm having uh, my son this week, <laughs> my second child, and uh, yeah, that's what happens. So I should have probably pointed that out yesterday, but beware. Uh, that, is a, that is a possible consequence uh, of those decisions. So, uh, but we, you know, I, 
I really think it, it's important to note, and we used, I spoke a little bit into First Thessalonians 4 on this, but, um, you know, just to reiterate, I, I think it's so important for us to recognize uh, that, you know, God calls us to a holy sexuality. Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, regardless of who you're attracted to, regardless of how you identify uh, sexually, uh, you know, like you are called to holiness. And so what that means is that you set sexuality apart for the marital covenant mm-hmm. between a man and a woman, you know, as outlined by God, affirmed by Christ. Uh, it's it's just, it's something I feel like, unfortunately, we get Christians and or maybe Christianity as a whole is either misinterpreted or, or you know, like people think like, oh, we're we're pushing these certain moral laws, and I don't know. It's just, I think it's always important to come back to what what is the foundational principle? Well, it's that sex belongs in the marital covenant. So any use of it outside of that just is, it's going against God. As First Thessalonians 4 talks about, you know, it's, it's you're not disobeying man. You're going against God. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I just, yeah. I'm going to start preaching again, yeah. uh, but no, <laughs> I got to calm down. Yeah, and it's true, and I think one of the, the interesting parts is that all of our sexualities um, go under constraint when we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. I mean, uh, everyone's sexuality has to has to be brought under healthy constraints, and mm. that's for heterosexual people um, across the board. You know, no matter what your sexual orientation, and so, and that that's part of walking with Christ. Now, the the best part is that I love what Paul says. He says. Such were some of you when mm-hmm. he talks about all sorts of sexual failure, mm-hmm. and so it. So there's all sorts of issues that have that we've all walked through um, in in making mistakes in this area. And so, yeah, you're you're not condemned, you're not destroyed, uh, you're not without hope. And mm-hmm. the bottom line is, hey, Christ. When we come to Christ, He helps us to grow and bring this area under the Spirit's yeah, control. Absolutely, He's not looking for perfection, uh, just humility and faith, and rewards that you know with forgiveness. So that's right. Anyway. So Southwood, one of the fun parts um, that we just talked about what, in this idea of the pursuit, how do you find uh, the one, is, uh, you know, it's been fun talking to different students over this series, and there's so much confusion and drama and and uncertainty about how to navigate the terrain in today's culture, <laughs> given social media and text conversations and the fact that I don't talk face-to-face. In fact, I had one student tell me literally – we don't have face-to-face conversations anymore, so it's difficult to even figure out how to start <laughs> yeah. a dating conversation. Yeah. And I just, I just went, man, but with so, how technology has benefited us in so many ways, it has also also brought some some challenges to overcome. And mm. so, one of the things that I just really want to do is just to say, hey guys, it's not that hard. You can get people around you to give you advice. That's the great first step that we see in Genesis twenty-four. Mm-hmm. Um, Look for quality character in that individual, people that love Jesus and, and are walking with him, and just ask. Put yourself out there and ask. And and what I didn't say on that last part of just ask, because that can be totally terrifying for so many people, mm-hmm. um, because I think so, ma- so much of us, um, our identity is wrapped up in getting the yes, not whose we are in Christ. Um, this person, even if they say no, doesn't mean you're unloved uncared for, and or that God doesn't have a great plan for you. He does. This is just a no. 
And here's the truth. We'll get lots of those in life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whether it's in work, whether it's, you know, any number of things, we'll get no's. And that's okay. That also is part of God guiding our path. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so just trust God that he actually really wants the best for you. And to be clear, don't navigate all these weird social terrains and get lost in the, the maze. But just be clear. Put yourself out there and know that God has your best. And if it's going to work out, he'll help you walk through those steps and, right. and not to put so much pressure on it. So, yeah. But we got one week left. One week. I won't be here, but I'm sure it'll be great. Um, yeah. But we have uh, not only our series wrapping up, but we have some new things kind of c- coming up in our ministry. The first of which is uh, this Thursday. So starting um, February or next Thursday? No, this Thursday. Uh-uh. This Tuesday, I am so sorry. <laughs> this Tuesday, uh, we have an, uh, a prayer event that's going to be meeting for four weeks. It's basically every Tuesday in February um, at three o'clock. Uh, on February eighth is the first one, and, and they're gonna. We're just meeting for prayer. We're, we're meeting to pray uh, for our campus, for our community, for our world. Um, so if you want to be a part of that, there's no agenda. There's no like lesson. There's just, there's kind of going to be a variety of ways to interact with the Lord in prayer. Yeah. And so if you want to be a part of that, it's just going to be three to 4 PM on February 8th, again, every Tuesday afternoon, uh, in the Anderson college auditorium. So if you want to be a part of that, I mean, we'd, we'd love to see you here. That's so good. It's going to be so exciting. And, and one of the kind of spearheads of that is there's great movements of God also often begin with deep prayer. The, the second thing that's coming up as well is uh, we've got um, theological training that with Jacob and Kevin, oh, yep. and it's going to be <laughs> so much fun. We've got four theological topics that we're going to be talking through. Mm-hmm. The first one is going to occur Wednesday, February 15th. We're going to be meeting in Rudder Tower, room 504. Mm-hmm. It's uh, over the lunch hour. That's 1130 to 1230 p.m., and it is going to be so good. The cost is 10 bucks. And we've got some some content that we're going to give you guys to read and study, to dig a little bit deeper. There's some kind of lecture uh, Q&A format that we're going to use during that hour time slot. And we would just encourage you, if you're a leader or if you're just wanting to dig deeper in theology, come join us. We'll promote this through social media and other outlets, but come be a part. Dig a little bit deeper theologically. And uh, part of it as well is you'll get some some clarity on some direction on where to dig deeper if you want to even study further in in theology. Yeah, because so. believe it or not, we're not going to cover all of theology in four Wednesday meetings. One-hour sessions. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it'll be it'll be lots of fun. Excited to, to be there with you. So thank you so much for joining us on the Grace College Podcast. Have a great week. <laughs>